Hi there, and welcome to the S Squared podcast. I am your host, Seri Siam. And I'm Sabsidrov. And today we will be discussing D.D. Hoffman's paper, The Interface Theory of Perception. Yeah, so um, I guess we've been thinking about just what we want to do with this podcast. And I think at least for the time being, we, we kind of want to do this um, sort of book club or paper club where we, you know, every episode we choose a new uh, topic to discuss and then just talk about it, explain explain to you what it is, and then uh, give you our thoughts. And hopefully we all, we all come away with um, having learned something interesting. It's, it's kind of... Uh, kind of a plan here yeah um so sav uh why don't you sort of introduce the whole paper to us and just kind of go through what it's about and um we'll go from there yeah sure um let me let me briefly explain this thing well the i i guess the first question is why do we care why is this cool? Why are we talking about it? And the the interesting thing about this paper is that it seems... Well, so what Hoffman suggests is that all of our... Everything that we look at, everything that we feel, everything that we sense, this you know world that our brain creates for us um, is pretty much analogous to something like a uh, like a desktop interface so for example if you have a, if you have a computer you can you can move around files on the computer you can open up certain you know software and do things in that software but really that uh, what you're doing there is that you're using an interface to make it easier for you to use a computer what's really going on on the on the ground level is just uh, basically a bunch of um, changes in logic gates, just, you know, strings of zeros and ones getting transformed into other strings of zeros and ones. And it's very non-intuitive, but, but, but you can create this interface to make it easier for you to use the computer. Or for example, same thing happens in a video game. If, if you have like, if you're playing Grand Theft Auto or something and you see a red Corvette, the red Corvette is really just pixels on a screen that get sent there through electrical signals that you know are again just 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 zeros and ones uh, on on your um, you know like on your motherboard, but but we perceive that car as as being actually there. So that's that's just a I, I guess a pretty cool and and, and sort of like a pretty drastic idea about how the uh, how we perceive the world around us. What I should also point out is that this interface theory is pretty different from the conventional understanding or the, the, the conventional theories for how perception works. If you're somebody who's studying perception, let's say that there's this there's this base reality out there, there's, a, there's this world and then we as agents in this world, um, create models to then make it through the day and then survive and reproduce and do all that fun stuff. The conventional wisdom is that 
these models of reality that you create are pretty accurate representations of the actual reality. So, um, you know, like the, the math term for this would be like the, the uh, your perception of reality is uh, homomorphic or, or isomorphic to the reality itself. It's, it's like a one-to-one mapping. You, you can have a one-to-one transformation with no information loss between your perception of the world and what the world is actually like. So an example of this would be how we perceive colors. So for us, it would be, you know, red, green, blue, etc. But really, we, we know that these are just uh, light waves that have different frequencies. And based on the frequency, uh, we perceive it as, as a different color. And it's very useful to us, right? Because it lets us tell objects apart from each other. And it lets us notice things in the environment. If we didn't perceive color and if we didn't perceive contrast, it might be harder to, uh, it might be harder to survive. But, but, but there's a one-to-one mapping there, right? You have a certain color that you perceive that maps to a certain wavelength. And you can go the other way. You, have a, you, can, you can have a certain wavelength and that maps to a particular color. Uh, and then you might say, well, you know, you, you're obviously not modeling the whole world. You're modeling only part of the world. You know, the, the, there's a lot of um, sort of waves on the electromagnetic spectrum that we can't see. You know, we can't see infrared. We can't see ultraviolet light. Um, but okay, fine. You're still in this framework of you have something in reality, and then and then you create like a like a one to one replica of that in your head. You represent that with some kind of some kind of thing. But Hoffman's whole point is well, you actually don't do that. Like it, it's it's a it's it's extra fat sort of on the theory of how we pr- perceive things. Like this requirement that you must have an accurate representation of reality um, might actually not, not, not hold in all cases. And his, uh, I guess like his argument for this is, is basically we as creatures that were, um, that are a product of Darwinian natural selection, all we care about is these uh, sort of evolutionary fitness payoffs what benefits me what what will get my genes to the next generation that kind of thing when the fitness payoff just so happens to match what the actual reality is like and and it creates this one-to-one mapping then great but in a lot of cases these things don't match and 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 maybe um modeling reality accurately either doesn't give you any um benefit or maybe it, it somehow decreases your chances of survival because um, either maybe you're modeling too much, there, there, there's too much information, or or it leads you to some kind of understanding of the world that's that's actually, you know, uh, that hurts you in some other way. Hmm. So yeah, like like the key idea here is modeling reality accurately is not a requirement for perception. That's the underlying message behind yeah. the paper. Yeah. yeah. Right. Um, and we see this in nature as well. Um, a great example would be, uh, for example, a frog. When a frog sees a fly, it doesn't perceive a fly as a fly. It just sees a dot. And so 
that dot triggers its uh its instincts to as in like hey that's food so i'm going to eat it and so it perceived that dot as food it didn't see that dot as a fly it didn't care if it's a fly it cares that i've done i've done this action before i've seen this dot before and it gave me food so it's likely if i pick this dot again i will be rewarded with food it's that simple yeah so uh, the information there that, is very subjective at the end of the day yeah and, and that's a great example because you're i mean i actually haven't haven't looked this up i don't know if that's like actually how frogs work is it like is that actually how frogs work yeah they don't they actually don't detect flies it, they actually detect small moving black spots of about the right, right. size right yeah makes sense um and the same thing goes with a house fly like it no different <laughs> so so the, the that would be an example uh, where you have this complicated system but you're the way that you're modeling it is is just in this very low res version so if i look at my chair what i see is a chair i hope but, so but but it's, but it's but it's not actually a chair that's 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 there right it, it's it's a bunch of at, like atoms that are sort of lumped together and then they give this structure and i recognize this structure as a chair Sure. Because because at a certain point, I like my brain just stops analyzing like the further details. Mm -hmm. It just says, "Yeah, it's roughly, you know, that shape." Do we want to get to uh, just quotes, like some 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 interesting quotes that that we that we've found in the paper? That sure. Let's talk about. Yeah. Um, so I wanted to talk about um, this one example in the paper. And uh, I'll read the quote here. Uh, Male jewel beetles fly about looking for the glossy dimpled and brown wing casings of females. When males of Homo sapiens began tossing out empty beer bottles, they were glossy, dimpled, and just the right shade of brown. The, ma the male beetles swarmed the bottles and ignored the females, nearly causing the extinction of the species. And this was by Gwyn and Rents. 1983 the beetles perception relied not on real information but rather on heuristics that worked in the niche where they evolved so here they perceived the bottle they didn't see it as a beetle like they literally saw the bottle and thought that's a beetle and literally <laughs> but but this is like one of the things that kind of rubs me the wrong way about this paper, or, or at least, like it's either I don't understand this fully or Hoffman doesn't understand this fully. Yes, like one version of this might be um, the Beatles have a very um, sort of low-res model of reality, and if they see anything that has those characteristics, they're going to go and try to mate with it. They're just mm -hmm. dumb. Right. But another explanation could be, well, they're they're programmed to like it 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 just feels good to mate with things that have those characteristics. 
Right? Like when humans watch porn, <laughs> like we don't say, wow, <laughs> look at those dumb humans. They think that they're actually having sex with real women. It's like, <laughs> no, it's just uh, you have no. <laughs> you have this sort of biological drive and most of the time it maps pretty accurately onto like, you know, useful things that you should be doing, but you can separate it. Right. Like this is this whole thing with hypernormal stimuli where um, you have these pretty simple algorithms in animals that make them do things. Um, And, 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 and so I guess like it's, 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 it's unclear to me. Um, where where the jewel beetle would fall into that and 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 um like later on in the in the paper uh hoffman makes uh, this claim that for example the physics itself like the for example the structure of space-time and um like all like all these things that, that that we've come up with they're actually part of our model of reality that they're part of our headset they're not actually representative of the actual underlying reality. And it's just, I don't know if that's, I don't know if that's reaching too far, right? Like that might be the case. I, I can also think of some reasons why that might not be the case. Like for example, in, in a lot of um, physics, um, especially like 20th century physics, we've, we've gone beyond the stuff that we can you know, perceive with our eyes and mm-hmm. stuff that's intuitive to us. And we mostly rely on, you know, just like you come up with a theory and then you take a measurement. And if you're, if, if, if the measurement agrees with the theory, it's probably right. I don't know if you can extend interface theory into that domain because you're not actually dealing with perception anymore. So th- 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 there's like, so I guess th- that sort of confuses me about the paper. Mm-hmm. So... Uh, in, in in the in the case of the in the case of the jewel beetle, you can certainly say that the, that behavior was tuned by uh, sort of uh, evolutionary fitness payoffs. Right. I don't think you can make the claim that that jewel beetle actually thinks it's mating with another jewel beetle. Yeah. The only real way to know that is if you were a jewel beetle and that's right. <laughs> We have no ways of doing that yet. Or if you or plugged electrodes it. into the jewel beetle or something. Y- yeah. Huh. What about illusions? Well, um, yeah, that, that, that's 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 a great example, actually. Yeah, that, yeah. that's that would be that would be an example where. Uh, your perception of reality doesn't reflect actual reality. Yeah. Optical illusions. So it, it's 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 certainly it's certainly the you know the, there is a lot to this to this theory. I just don't know how far you can extend it. It's like it's it's there's not much one can do. I mean, great. No, no, no. Like, I mean, just in terms of, um, yes, it does make sense that your perception of reality isn't, uh, you know, isomorphic to actual reality. It's like the ultimate, the map is not the territory 
uh, example, right? Mm-hmm. Where people say the map is not the territory when they're, when they're talking about just any sort of model of reality that you create, right? Mm-hmm. Like, like, like you create some kind of maybe simple model for how the stock market works. Sure. But the, the real stock mark, um, market, for example, is, is, is a lot more complicated than your model of the stock market. Sure. And then we generalize and then we, we, we think we know or understand it. But in reality, yeah. do we? <laughs> well, yeah, do yeah. You, so, so, right? like, so it's like if you, if you take that to the absolute limits, like how far can we go? Like the basic mm-hmm. underlying structure of reality. This is, this is like the ultimate, the map is not the territory um it isn't what it claim. is or it's not what right? it seems like yeah but but the notion but, but, here but but i still have this question how far can you extend this so so illusions are an example of um of of this map doesn't equal the territory thing mm-hmm. um hypernormal stimuli are an example of this um so <clears throat> some other examples of hypernormal stimuli for example would be like um there's a type of bird i i i forget what what exactly what the species of the bird is but basically the when the like when the birds hatch then they peck at the mother's beak because it has uh like a red dot on its beak and um that's you know like they do that because because that helps them get food from the mother's mouth but it turns out if you just, uh, you know, it's like they did studies on this. If you keep increasing the size of the dot, then they'll pet, peck at it sort of more and more actively. Uh, so it's like, yeah, this is another example of just the simple algorithm um, that runs in these birds. It's like if you see a red dot, peck at it. Right. That's their payout. The payout is I get food out of that. And that's hyper stimulus right there uh, where... But but can you can you extend it to to things like space time? Can you like space time doesn't actually exist, or or can you extend it to saying that while well, these birds actually perceive, it's not that it just feels good. It, like like they actually perceive reality differently. I I I don't know. I don't. I don't think so. Actually, yeah. I don't. I don't know either. I can't say I don't think so either because I don't know. I'm not a bird. Did you have any other quotes that stood out to you? Yeah, I'm just scanning it right now and see. A second problem with the measured world argument arises even if the results of measurement agree with our perceptions. We express our measurements in terms of prediction predicates that our perceptual representations use. For example, we arrive at a notion of Euclidean space or Newtonian. Okay, yeah, now that I'm going off a tangent here with that. Well, th- this thing about Euclidean space, um, I, like what's he saying there? Um, an observer's perceptual experiences can have a rich structure. Example, a 3D structure that is locally Euclidean and that transforms predictably and systematically as the observer acts, but this entails absolutely nothing about the structure of the objective world. This is wildly counterintuitive. We naturally assume that the rich structure of our perceptual experiences... This is absolutely nothing that gets me. Yeah. (laughs) Can you elaborate more on that? 
I'm just thinking, like, it seems to me that humans can reason about abstract things and they're, as far as we know, they're the only animals that can reason <clears throat> about abstract things. So things that are not in, uh, like, the physical world, th things that you can't perceive. If, you th if you're thinking about maybe sort of advanced physics theories, general relativity, quantum mechanics, you can't really feel these things. You can't, you can't see these things in action necessarily, right? Like you can't, because the, the, you either have to be going really fast or you have to be really small, right? Like we're way out of this. The scope of measuring any the of The world of like, well, we're way out of this world of intuitive physics. Right. Right. Like before, like in, in, in Newton's time, right? Um, all, all of the f like Newtonian equations are pretty intuitive or like the, the equations of motion are pretty intuitive. If, mm -hmm. if you throw a ball, it goes in a parabola, we can model it mathematically, you know, um, you roughly have an idea of how that works because you exist in this world. You, you know, it's helpful. Knowing about quantum mechanics is not helpful. But I guess, like, the point that I'm trying to make is that, like, humans can reason abstractly about things. So we can we can reach further than our perceptions uh, would naturally allow us. So therefore, extending interface theory, this theory that that all of everything that we perceive is 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 made up, into domains where we can't actually perceive things as wrong. If you're trying to reason about the, the actual structure of the universe, saying that, oh, well, we actually can't <clears throat> reason about it because all that we've been doing, everything that we've been doing, all of our physics have been describing this, this sort of um, made-up world uh, that we live in. I don't think that's quite right. Now, maybe I'm not understanding his theory that well. I, I, I you know, um, he certainly lived with it more and and thought about it more than I have. Uh, so, like, I'm probably wrong. <laughs> but, 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 but still, that this, it, like, it, it, it just, I, like, I keep getting stuck here because it, it just doesn't seem like it would be the case. Like, the whole Stephen Wolfram thing, right? Stephen Wolfram, uh, creative. Of of, uh, of of Mathematica, Wolfram Alpha, all these uh, cool tools for doing mathematics. Like he uh, just recently announced a, like a project to f figure out things in physics, to basically use computation to try to um, figure out some kind of fundamental physics theory. The stuff that he's doing is very abstract. It's far as i can tell it it that stuff would have nothing to do with interface theory like he he's he's actually describing if he's correct he's actually describing um this very base level sort of machine code uh layer of reality and is it, he's able to do this because because humans can think abstractly about stuff so i think this this abstraction thing kind of gets in the way of interface theory applying to everything Right. Hmm. Comes back to 
why we have the ability to understand abstraction when a, for example, chimpanzee, your, your example, a chimpanzee um, given a sharp rock only identifies that as a sharp rock, but will never see a dull rock and say, well, I can sharpen that and use it. Mm-hmm. So it seems like there's this universal limit to abstraction, if you will. Like only human, like it seems to be that only humans have the ability to um, think abstractly. Yeah, it certainly seems that way because we're the only species that can create or that have culture Mm -hmm. that shows itself. Like we build buildings and posters and cars and you know just every society right right you don't really see this in other animals no (laughs) it'd be cool to see that but i don't think (laughs) we will any time soon unless evolution decides to create another homo sapien yeah it seems like ever since we found or ever since you found Wolfran, everything about Dee Dee Hoffman just kind of sunk. Well, it's it's so it's interesting to me to kind of like compare these two guys because mm-hmm. in a way they're they're working with really similar things. Like Wolfram just had this podcast episode where for the whole thing he's talking about how different intelligences might perceive the world and might perceive physics and that's all part of his physics project because he's trying to um if you have this really abstract structure that he's dealing with and then you're trying to find some kind of physics laws that correspond to our actual physics that we have right now it'd be important to know if everybody perceives the same physics yes and so he he's he's kind of coming at it from a completely different angle but weirdly um wolfram and and hoffman are, are, are dealing with similar things yeah um and it's interesting to me to like for me to see how these two theories interact with each other like if they live well together <laughs> I, i'd be curious to know what a conversation would look like between the two if they were to just be put head on and just discuss this. What that would look yeah. like. Or, I mean, give it some more time and see if one of their theories ends up well, yeah. being successful. <laughs> right. Right. Or maybe both of their theories ends up being successful. Mm-hmm. Or one proves the other theory successful. Well, well exactly. Yeah, yeah. Right. Yeah, right. Like, you might be able to use the Wolfram Physics Project to make uh, headway on interface theory. Hmm. or vice versa uh is there anything else that we should uh say about this or i'm pretty i'm 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 like uh... i think we should wrap it up like i'm pretty i i want to like hype up like just spend like maybe a couple like seconds just hyping up what our next topic would be about it's going to be on the mandelberg book 
It's called The Misbehavior of Markets. So it talks about the uh, financial market in a extremely different view, like a very unorthodox point of view. Um, he uses fractal geometry to describe the stock market. That's the best way to put it. Yeah, so this, uh, I guess, he basically opened up this whole field of um, fractal geometry, and it turns out to, to, to have a bunch of applications in many different domains, one of which is finance. And basically what it is, is it's, it's kind of like this, the study of roughness, or, or it's, it's, this, um, it's this idea that, that you can have really rough objects and still be able to describe them mathematically in some way. And what's a better application of this whole framework that studies roughness uh, than markets, which, you know, like if, if, if you look at, if you look at like a sort of like a market trend line, it, it looks very um, sort of random and jagged and doesn't really give you a clear, clear form. Um, but maybe one of the like interesting ways that you can actually study it and gain, gain some more understanding is through fractals. So, yeah, that, that's that's uh, that's what we're going to be talking about next time we record. And that wraps up our show for today. Thanks for listening to the S-Squared podcast. You can find us on Twitter at Sapsidorov or at Siam. And we'll talk to you next time. And we'll talk to you next time.